everyone, and welcome back to Sports Island. And as you know by now, Sports Island is your getaway destination for sports news. And of course, I am your host, Rick Mitchell. We are in full sports mode right now as everything is back in action and just rolling right along. And just like the previous few weeks have been, uh, this week was action-packed with with sports news. So let's go ahead and dive right in and take a look at what all went down this past week. And we'll lead off, of course, like we normally do in the PGA Tour. And this past weekend's tournament was the Wyndham Championship, which was held at Sedgefield Country Club in Charlotte, North Carolina. And it was a subpar field. Uh, We only had two of the world's top 10 golfers playing this past weekend. But that did not stop the competitive golf. We saw another good week of golf and some very low scores this past weekend. Raise your hand if you had Jim Herman winning at the Wyndham Championship. Okay, Uh, nobody's raising their hand. And not only did Jim Herman win, He tied a PGA Tour record with a cumulative score of 124 over his last two rounds, which was the lowest closing 36-hole score in PGA Tour history. Uh, Herman was ridiculous over the weekend. He fired 9-under 61 on Saturday and a 7-under 63 on Sunday to finish at 21-under par, which was a one-shot victory over Billy Horschel who, of course, finished at 20-under. And then there was a four-way tie for third uh, at 18-under par, and that featured Kevin Kistner, Webb Simpson, who was one of my picks to click, Doc Redman, and Siwoo Kim. Now, Siwoo Kim on Saturday had an impressive hole-in-one on the par-3 third. And then he makes it over to the 12th, which is also a par-3, and he left it just short, uh, almost a second hole in one in the same round. So he was playing pretty good. But overall, it was another solid weekend of golf. And I mentioned last week that this was the Wyndham was the last tournament before the FedEx Cup playoffs started. So all 125 playoff spots are now filled after this weekend's tournament. And let's revisit Rick's picks to click from this past weekend's Wyndham Championship. Well, last week uh, I gave you Webb Simpson, Justin Rose, and Patrick Reed as my picks to click. And for the second time since I started this podcast, I recorded two picks inside the top 10. As I mentioned a little bit ago, Webb Simpson finished at 18 under par, which was good for third. He carded 24 birdies over the weekend and just played exceptional golf. Uh, He looked every bit of number six in the world, which is what his ranking was coming into the weekend. But my second pick to click was Justin Rose, and Rose was all over the place. He went three over in his first round and three under in his second round to finish at even par through two rounds and missed the cut by two shots. And he just never really looked anywhere near what he should have, uh, considering how he's been playing as of late. But my final pick to click was Patrick Reed. 
Reed fired a six under 64 on Sunday, which jumped him up to 16 under par, and which was good for ninth. And Reed was very solid all the way around, and he just dominated the par 5 15th hole. Reed actually eagled that par 5 15th hole in rounds 2, 3, and 4. That's pretty good consistency right there. And I'll definitely take two top 10s out of my picks, uh, even with one missed cut. I'd still say it was a successful week. But this week, PGA Tour begins the FedEx Cup playoffs with the Northern Trust, which is played at TPC Boston in Norton, Massachusetts. The field's going to be 125 players, and that will be cut down to 70 uh, at the end of this tournament. And it'll get cut down to 30 at the end of next week's BMW Championship. And then the week after next, the top 30 square off in the Tour Championship. But TPC Boston's going to play at a par 71 this weekend. And since it's the playoffs, the next three fields are only the best of the best in the entire world. So let's check out Rick's Picks to Click for this weekend's Northern Trust. I'll start off with Daniel Berger. Berger's currently ranked number 18 in the world. And dating back to the Waste Management Phoenix Open, which was six months ago, Berger has won once and finished second, third, fourth, fifth, ninth, and 13th a couple weeks ago at the PGA Championship. He's also made all four of his cuts in his four events played here at TPC Boston previously. And he's probably been the most consistent golfer since the restart. So i like for Daniel Berger to finish inside the top 25 and advance on to the BMW Championship next week. But my second pick to click this weekend is going to be Dustin Johnson. And DJ is currently ranked number four in the world. And in his nine career tournaments played at TPC Boston... DJ has made every cut, and he's finished in the top 10 four times, including a 7th place finish back in 2018. So I like for DJ to finish inside the top 10 this weekend. My final pick to click for the Northern Trust this weekend is going to be Bryson DeChambeau. DeChambeau is currently ranked number 8 in the world, and he won at TPC Boston back in 2018. DeChambeau has really taken the PGA Tour by storm since the PGA's restart, and I think he's got a very good chance to win this weekend. I'd say he's pretty much a lock to finish inside the top 25. But we'll move on to the NCAA and college sports. And last week I discussed how college football was really in serious jeopardy of not happening at all. Well, within literally hours of me releasing last week's episode, the Big Ten decided to postpone its fall sports with the plan to play it in the spring. And immediately after that, the Pac-12 announced that they were also calling off fall sports and were going to look at the spring options as well. And these announcements were in addition to the other non-Power 5 conferences of the MAC, the Mountain West, and the Big East, who have also postponed their fall sports this year. And since those announcements of the Big Ten and the Pac-12 postponing their fall sports, the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC all announced 
that they're still planning on proceeding with their football seasons this fall. My, oh my. I mean, this is totally unprecedented times we're in right now. And there's just so much to unpack. Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby stated that the Big 12 is comfortable moving forward with fall sports this year because the Big 12's medical professionals have not said that it is unsafe to play. And I don't even know where to start with this because each conference has their own board of medical directors who come up with their own opinion of whether the conferences should be proceeding with sports. And I just simply don't understand how some conferences get different advice than others. Like by this point, we are all aware of what the virus is and how contagious it is and what we can do to prevent it. And I'm sure each conference's board of medical directors is all made up of doctors and high-level medical professionals. But to have one conference say it's okay with playing and then another conference say it's not okay is just mind-boggling. I don't really get that. These universities and conferences are priding themselves on making decisions that are, quote, safe for their students and their student-athletes, which is understandable. And these universities are still planning on having in-person classes this fall. But how can you have classes and not play sports? That's what I'm fuzzy on. I'm not buying the safety aspect that they keep preaching. If it's not safe to play sports, then how is it safe to host thousands and thousands of students on campus for classes? Student athletes also attend classes. So what makes it okay for them to attend classes, but not okay for them to play sports? I get that sports, specifically football, is much more invasive than sitting in a classroom with desks that are several feet apart. There's zero social distancing in football. But the athletes have tutors that they use during their road trips. So why not just section off a group of professors that are dedicated to just the athletes? These schools can really create their own version of a bubble when it comes to the athletes. They're just choosing not to do that. The schools already treat the athletes, namely the football players, like royalty, especially at the Power 5 schools. So I'm just not following the logic that these conferences are using. And I'm calling BS on the safety issues. Because if you're going to have class, then you should be able to play sports. Like, how how do you have a group of doctors from one conference say that it's unsafe to play, but then another group of doctors from another conference say that it is safe? Like I said, we all have the same info on the virus. It just doesn't make sense. The athletes want to play, and if they don't, They have the option to opt out and not play. And in fact, we've seen several athletes, including some very high-profile players from various conferences, come out and say that they're skipping this season. I feel like the school should leave it up to the individual athlete whether to participate or not. Because I'm, I'm sure more athletes than not would participate. But... Probably the most prolific athlete in the Big Ten is Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields. And Fields is currently projected as a surefire top five pick in the 2021 NFL Draft next year. Justin Fields has actually started a petition to reverse the Big Ten's ruling on fall sports. And in short, 
This petition is basically requesting that the Big Ten consider reversing its ruling and allow football to continue. Now, this petition has actually gained a ton of traction over the past few days, getting several hundred thousand signatures. And it's certainly getting enough notoriety to where the Big Ten is going to have to address it. Personally, I don't think that the Big Ten's going to legitimately consider the petition. But hey, it's worth a shot. It's basically all the players have at this point. And that's not to mention, how are these conferences that canceled or postponed fall sports plan on playing in the spring, specifically football? Because that's when the players start prepping for the NFL draft. Ohio State head football coach Ryan Day came out and suggested a shortened eight-game schedule that begins in January, early January. What's the difference between starting a season the very last week of September versus the very first week of January? If we're being honest, this vaccine for COVID is probably going to come out right before the presidential election in a couple months. So I don't understand the quick rash decision made by the Big Ten and the Pac-12, considering you have other Power Five conferences that are still playing. And what the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are basically saying is that their board of medical directors are somehow smarter than those of the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC. The whole thing really just does not make any sense at all. I just hope that the Big Ten does reverse its decision because of that petition. Because I want college football. I want fair, complete, competitive college football. And that includes all uh, Power 5 conferences playing. Because every team is going to be playing under the same circumstances. There's just nothing more special or prestigious about the Big 10 or the Pac-12 than there is with the Big 12, the SEC, and the ACC. Let the kids play. Let the kids have the option to not play if that's what they choose. But we'll move on to the National Basketball Association. The NBA's regular season inside the bubble finished up this past week, and the playoff matchups are set. And before I break those down, let's quickly recap the regular season. The best team inside the bubble was, you guessed it, the Phoenix Suns. They won all eight games inside the bubble, going 8-0. In fact, they were so good in the bubble, they should petition to move their franchise to Orlando and have all their games played at Disney World like they're doing right now. And somehow that 8-0 was not good enough to get them into that 8th spot in the Western Conference playoffs. It wasn't good enough because of the main story inside the bubble, which was the Portland Trailblazers. Portland went 6-2, which was good enough to catapult them up to 8th. And I mentioned last week that the West was going to have a play-in game for the 8th spot due to none of the teams being able to mathematically clinch the 8th spot before the season ended. Well, Portland played the Memphis Grizzlies this past Saturday in that play-in game. And Portland won that 126-122, to which gave them that final 8th seed playoff spot and a date with the Los Angeles Lakers. The bubble MVP was Damian Lillard of those Portland Trailblazers. And he put on just an absolute show for those last couple weeks of the regular season. 
Lillard averaged 37.6 points per game and added 9.6 assists per game inside that bubble. And in the final three games for Portland, Damian Lillard scored 51, 61, and 42 points, respectively. The Blazers are just scorching hot right now, and I would not want any part of them in the playoffs. But more on that in just a second. So we know the NBA playoff matchups are set. Keep in mind that all the series are best of seven. So I'm going to go ahead right now and make my predictions for the first round of the playoffs, which started Monday afternoon. And in the Eastern Conference, the number one seed Milwaukee Bucks are playing the number eight seed Orlando Magic. And this one may be the easiest series to predict out of all playoff series. Milwaukee's winning the series. Uh, No chance they're going to lose to the Magic. The question is, is it going to be a sweep? Or is Orlando going to win a game? And I'll say that Orlando will take a game. So give me the Bucks in five. But next up, the number two seed Toronto Raptors play the number seven seed Brooklyn Nets. Toronto is a very good, very well-coached team and one that is actually capable of representing the East in the NBA Finals. And the Brooklyn Nets are without Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan, and Spencer Dinwiddie. So without those guys, there's zero chance that the Nets beat the Raptors. So give me Toronto in five games. Next up, the number three seed Boston Celtics play the number six seed Philadelphia 76ers. And I think this series looks super close on paper. But keep in mind that Philly is going to be without all-star Ben Simmons, who got hurt during one of the games in the bubble in the past couple weeks. And he's missing the rest of the season. Uh, Joel Embiid is a one-man wrecking crew for Philly when he's on. But Boston's strong lineup of Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Gordon Hayward, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart is just too powerful. I think the series would definitely be closer if Simmons was healthy, but I think Boston takes this one in six games. And finally... Uh, the number four seed Indiana Pacers play the number five seed Miami Heat. And this is probably the hardest series to predict out of all the first round in either conference. The Pacers got Victor Oladipo back to pair with DeMontis Sabonis. But the Miami Heat, they looked super sharp in the bubble, and they have a deep roster. I think this series is going to go seven games, but I'm going to take the Miami Heat to come out on top. But moving on to the Western Conference, the number one seed Los Angeles Lakers are going to play those red-hot number eight seed Portland Trailblazers. And I just talked about how well the Blazers played in the bubble. Well, the Lakers were the opposite. They didn't look good at all. In fact, they went three and five in the bubble, but they did manage to secure the top seed. Now, if this was any sport except the NBA, I would probably pick Portland, just based on the fact that they are the hotter team right now. But this is the NBA, and LeBron James is on the Lakers. The NBA is the most fixed of the major pro sports, 
So there's no way in hell that the Lakers are losing to the Trailblazers. That's just not going to happen. The NBA will not let that happen. And while I truthfully want to pick Portland, I know it's a losing pick. The series is going to be stressful for the Lakers, though. Uh, but with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, just that's just give me the Lakers in six games. Next up, the number two seed Los Angeles Clippers play the number seven seed, my hometown, Dallas Mavericks. And Luka Doncic is already a top five player in the league at just 21 years old in his second NBA season. And Kristaps Porzingis really has found his game inside the bubble. And those two are just a dynamic duo, one of the best duos in the league. But the Clippers... They might just be the very best team in the NBA. Their defense is outrageous. And oh yeah, they have last year's NBA Finals MVP, Kawhi Leonard, on their team, who is also a top five player in the league. The Mavericks were 0-3 against the Clippers this year, including a 126-111 loss against them in the bubble. I think the Mavericks are going to steal a game or two, because of Doncic and Porzingis. But uh, I, I think the Clippers are going to come out on top. I'll say the Clippers in six games. Uh, next up, the number three seed Denver Nuggets are playing the number six seed Utah Jazz. And I like the Jazz a lot. Donovan Mitchell is legit. He can put up some points. But Denver is just the better team. And Nikola Jokic is a superstar. And Michael Porter Jr., has finally found his game. He really came into form during the bubble, and he's panned out to be that first-round pick that he was drafted to be a couple years ago. I think Porter Jr. is going to be the X factor in the series. I can see the series going seven games, but I'm going to take Denver to, to come out on top. Next up, the number four seed Houston Rockets are playing the number five seed Oklahoma City Thunder. And for me, this was probably the second hardest series to predict behind the Heat Pacers series in the East. Uh, Houston's going to be without all-star Russell Westbrook for at least the first few games in the series due to that leg injury he sustained towards the end of the uh, regular season last week. But even still, Houston can light up a scoreboard better than anyone else in the league. And I think James Harden's going to be too much for the Thunder to handle so give me the Rockets in a seven-game series. But we'll go around the island now. Uh, plenty of newsworthy, quick-hit topics from around various sports. And we're going to start off in the National Hockey League. The NHL's quarterfinals of the playoffs got underway this past week. And man, it has been some exciting hockey. And after going an abysmal one in seven in my qualifying round predictions. I made my predictions for the quarterfinal round last week, and those are looking really good. As of this episode, six of my eight predictions are either at a tie in the series or have the series lead. But this is the NHL playoffs, so I ain't getting excited just yet. But by far the strangest news out of the NHL from this past week deals with the Boston Bruins and Bruins goalie Tuka Rask, who announced over the weekend, literally just hours before 
the team's Game 3 matchup against the Carolina Hurricanes, that he is opting out of the remainder of the 2020 playoffs. Now, Tuka Rask is a finalist for this year's Vesna Trophy as the league's top goalie. And Rask participated in the round-robin games and the first two games in the qualify- or the quarterfinal round against the Hurricanes. But Rask made some very odd statements in a post-game press conference after Boston's Game 2 loss to Carolina. And to paraphrase, Tuka Rask said that this doesn't feel like the playoffs and that he's just going out there to have fun and whatever happens, happens. And that's not exactly what you want to hear your goaltender saying, especially in the playoffs. And while there might not be any fans in attendance at these playoff games, the quality of hockey has sure made it feel like the playoffs. So I'm not really sure what hockey Tuka Rask has been watching, but it's definitely the playoffs. And Tuka Rask released a statement following his decision to opt out. Rask said, quote, I want to be with my teammates competing, but at this moment there are things more important than hockey in my life, and that is being with my family. I want to thank the Bruins and my teammates for their support and wish them success, close quote. And that is just very strange, especially at this point in the playoffs. I think there's more to the story here, even more so after his questionable post-game comments this past weekend. And now, over the weekend, there were reports coming out that Tuka Rask's time in Boston may be done altogether. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. That's just super strange. But we'll move on to the National Football League. Uh, Several newsworthy topics to come out of the NFL this week. And we'll start it off with some contract extensions. The two best tight ends in the league are Travis Kelsey and George Kittle. Well, this past week, Kittle and the San Francisco 49ers agreed to a five-year, $75 million contract extension. And basically right after that, Travis Kelsey agreed to a four-year extension with the Kansas City Chiefs worth $57.25 million, which includes $28 million in guaranteed money. And this is just another massive contract for the Kansas City Chiefs, who just seem to be apparently the only NFL team without a salary cap. But another piece of NFL news deals with the officials. Last week I mentioned how the officials had the choice to opt out of the 2020 season, just like the players do. And the officials who do opt out would receive a $30,000 stipend check along with guaranteed job security for the 2021 season. Well, several took advantage of that. We had five on-field officials who chose to opt out this past week due to concerns over the coronavirus. And speaking of the coronavirus, the NFL and NFL Players Association announced that all NFL players are going to be tested daily until at least September 5th. And that's because all teams are in training camps right now, and they're just trying to be extra cautious about making sure they're on top of any positive test that may come up. And speaking of testing, this past week the NFL announced that so far uh, during the workout and training camp phase so far, they've conducted roughly 110,000 COVID tests, and the positive test percentage is only 0.046. 
So about 4.5%. That's very impressive, and it bodes well at the prospect of getting the season going soon. Now, my hometown Dallas Cowboys decided to create their own version of a training camp bubble. An estimated 90% of the team is staying at a hotel that is attached to the Star, which is the team's practice facility in Frisco, Texas. And that's not a bad idea at all. I think more teams should actually consider doing that, especially with how well the bubble formats have been working in the NHL and the NBA. But I mentioned that training camps are underway. So with training camps come injuries. And so far, there's been two season-ending injuries that have occurred. And we're just a few days into actual padded practices. Uh, The first injury was San Francisco 49ers wide receiver Jalen Hurd. Hurd tore his ACL, which makes him ineligible this season. Uh, But on Monday morning, Dallas Cowboys announced that their key free agent signing from this past offseason, defensive tackle Gerald McCoy, tore his right quadricep, and he too is going to miss the entire season. And that just sucks. He was a key piece to that Cowboys revamped defensive line. And he doesn't even get to play a single game until next season. You hate to see season-ending injuries at all. But having them occur in training camp just makes the sting that much worse. So hopefully those guys can make speedy recoveries and be ready to go in 2021. And with the lack of a full off-season training program, I would sadly expect more injuries to come from other teams. But the final piece of NFL news deals with our beloved Monday Night Football. ESPN announced this past week that the Monday Night Football broadcast team for the 2020 season is going to be Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick. And it appears that ESPN has moved on from the tandem of Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarland, who had gotten a ton of flack for their performance the past couple seasons. I know I'm in the minority here, but I actually enjoyed listening to Joe and Booger call Monday Night Football. I think they did a good job. But I also enjoy listening to Steve Levy and Lewis Riddick on SportsCenter. So I'm fine with those guys hopping over to the Monday Night Football booth. But I just can't wait for real NFL football to begin in just under a month. But next up is Major League Baseball. Last week, I discussed the brawl that occurred between the Oakland Athletics and the Houston Astros. Well, the MLB handed down the punishments from that incident. Houston's hitting coach, Alex Cintron, received a 20-game suspension for his role, making it apparent that whatever he said about the mother of A's outfielder Ramon Laureano was way out of bounds. And Laureano himself only received a six-game suspension for his actions of charging Cintron. So it appears that the MLB sided with Laureano in this case. And really, I don't have an issue with either of those suspensions. Uh, Those suspensions are in the process of getting appealed, so they might be reduced. And speaking of reduced suspensions, Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher Joe Kelly had his suspension reduced to five games from the original eight games that he had received. And of course, Joe Kelly was the pitcher who threw it the Astros players intentionally, and then uh, caused benches clear with some exchange words with Carlos Correa, and then he made the crying face. Everybody's seen that by now. 
But Joe Kelly conducted an interview this past week with the Big Swing podcast. And man, did Kelly have some strong words. In that interview, Kelly said, quote, They know they're cheaters, but now they mess it up by ruining other people's lives. So they fucked up twice. And when you taint someone's name to save your own name, this is one of the worst things that you could possibly do. I think I'll be irritated forever. Close quote. Boy, he didn't hold back, did he? So let me get this straight. You intentionally throw at three consecutive Astros batters with the intent to hurt them, or possibly hurt them. You get caught, and now somehow the Astros are at fault in this? Yes, everyone knows the Astros got caught cheating two years ago when they won the World Series. Every team in baseball tries to steal signs. That's just a part of baseball. It gives you a competitive advantage. I'm not condoning the Astros cheating because they took it too far. But dude, it was two years ago. Let it go. Sanctions have already come down on the Astros for that. Have some accountability for your actions. If you think that the Astros are at fault for your suspension, then you, Joe Kelly, are the problem. And if a five-game suspension ruins your life, then you should probably retire from baseball. I don't like Joe Kelly, and this even further proves why. He's a grown man acting like a petulant child, blaming the Astros organization for his intentional actions of throwing at them. Grow up and act like the professional that you are paid to be. But moving on now. It wouldn't be another week in Major League Baseball without some more positive COVID tests and postponed games. This past weekend, the Cincinnati Reds, latest victim, they announced that they received a couple of positive COVID tests, positive COVID tests just prior to their series before the Pittsburgh Pirates. So naturally, Major League Baseball had to step in and postpone the entire series over the weekend so that contract, contact tracing could be done and further testing could be performed. And add that to the list of postponed games. Major League Baseball, get this now, Major League Baseball has not gone a day without a game postponement due to the coronavirus since July 26th, which was the fourth day of their season. And this just further proves that the Major League Baseball messed up by not selecting to participate in a bubble format. Uh, It's just getting to be kind of expected at this point. Like, we expect weekly positive tests in Major League Baseball, whereas we've had zero concerns with positive tests in the NBA and the NHL. But the final topic in Around the Island is uh, PGA Tour. Quick note on that. The PGA this past week announced that there's going to be no fans in attendance for the Masters, which is going to be held November 12th through the 15th. And this announcement made it official that there will be no fans in the stands for any of the three major championships played this year. And I can't really say that I'm surprised by this one. The PGA Championship a week ago 
went really smooth without fans. And it was still the spectacle that we all hoped it would be. So I'm sure that the U.S. Open and the Masters are going to be just as entertaining to watch on TV. you got some of the best golfers in the world out there competing for major championships. It's definitely going to be some good golf, regardless of whether the fans are there or not. But that's going to wrap up the ninth episode of Sports Island. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed listening to it, and uh, just tell your friends about it, share it, uh, review it. You can find it on any of the major podcast platforms, and uh, hit me up on Facebook as well, at Sports Island Podcast. I'd like to discuss anything that you guys want me to. Just uh, drop me a quick note on there and let me know what you're wanting to discuss. But I uh, hope you all have a good week. Stay safe, be well, and we'll catch you on Sports Island next week.